sisters thought of kings better than diamond ring. That's why we're here to sing football. Sunday in the snow, the breeze whistle blows. Weekend warriors toe to toe. Football. 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 Yes, yes, people. Welcome along to another edition of North London 40. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inye Benio. It is playoff time, people. The wild card playoffs have begun. This is the meaty stuff. The meaty stuff. Absolutely. The real deal. The end of the season. The business end. We're going to break down everything that happened in the wild card weekend. We had Saturday games. We had Sunday games. We had drama. We had excitement. We had amazing individual performances the whole nine. We're going to be breaking it all down for you on the UK's favourite NFL podcast, North London 40. I like to call this weekend Barbershop Weekend. This is the weekend when the NFL gets prime spot of discussion in barbershops across America. But before we get into all that, bit of housekeeping. At NLDN40 is the Twitter. Had brilliant fun over the last couple of days on the Twitter, communicating with you all there during the games. Some really fun, really fun stuff out there. So shout to everyone that follows us on Twitter, interacts with us on Twitter also. iTunes, subscribe to the podcast each and every week through the regular season. North London 40 on there. Mixcloud forward slash NLDN40. If you want to stream us, you want to stream us, you want to hear us like that, nldn40.tumblr.com for all sorts of weird and wonderful and fun Tumblr stuff coming up through the week. North London 40 at gmail.com on the email. Many ways to contact us, get involved with us. It is your show, people. We are here weekly through the end of the playoffs, right up to the Super Bowl. Talk of the Super Bowl. Let's talk about the road to the Super Bowl. It all started this weekend. We had four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Normally, we'd start with the games, the earliest games first. But this time, we're going to start with the latest game. And we're going to work our way backwards. It's the playoffs. It's a brand new week, new rule book. We can do what we want. It's our podcast. YOLO indeed. Let's start with the late game last night. It was the one that everybody was looking forward to. Everybody picked it out as their highlight of the playoffs. Everybody had sat through three incident-packed, yes, but pretty disappointing games, and we'll go through those later, but they were primed for this one. Can I say the word turgid to describe them? Would that be fair? Depends how many listeners you want to lose in the second half of the show. <laughs> I think that's unfair. As you said, it is. it was incident-packed. I think we had high expectations, and I think we got something a little bit different, but they've all got their own talking points. Yes, they do, but they weren't the biggest in terms of excitement. This was the one that we were looking forward to. Robert Griffin III, a.k.a. RG3, a.k.a. Black Jesus, taking on Russell Wilson, a.k.a. Every Day I'm Rustling, and his Seattle Seahawks in the nation's capital. Two rookie quarterbacks going head-to-head on the primetime game. In terms of drama, this game did not disappoint. The Seattle Seahawks were the winners 24-14. to And the talking point today is about one man and one injury. RG3. There's a lot of hyperbole going around right now. And the name Dr. James Andrews is... 
right now he's the most famous doctor in the world. Uh, probably fam more famous than the one that killed Michael Jackson. But but what can we he say? Right up there was Shivago. Shivago, Quincy, MD. Dre, um, no. I'm, I'm glad we're going through all the important doctors, Dr. Dre. Zeus. Yeah, that's that's uh, Dr. Dr. Andre Nozdick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it breaks your heart to see the end of the this season's RG3 story end on, on such a horrific play that we're going to see in GIFs and montages for the rest of the season. At the end of the day, this was the best game of the weekend, and it was it was filled with amazing drama and amazing incidents. But it was also a game filled with a quarterback that we'd grown to love over this past season playing below his par due to an injury and the whole of whole of the world screaming that he should be replaced but he not but he not wanting to leave the field. It turned into a very painful game to watch. There was talk of RG three. He picked up the injury a few weeks ago. He had a brace on his leg, which is actually very reminiscent of the brace that Ray Lewis had on his um, arm, like the leg version. But he had this enormous brace on his leg where you looked at it and you're like, well, that doesn't look good. looks restricting. But it looked medieval. It did. Game of Thrones-ish in its swagger or lack of. You could see he was hurt coming into the game, but everybody still wanted to see what he could do. The Redskins got off to an unbelievable start, went 14-0 up. He received what appeared to be an innocuous injury in the second quarter, just prior to the touchdown pass that he threw to Kirk Paulson. The Redskins had a big lead. They were running the ball. Nobody thought that much more about it. His play then started to go downhill dramatically. He couldn't hit his throws. He kept overthrowing, underthrowing. His accuracy went down a complete toilet. After the touchdown pass to Logan Paulson, he went 4 of 10 for 18 yards. He was not capable of playing at an NFL quarterback level. Threw an interception, got sacked twice. But I think for me, where it hit home and everybody on Twitter was the same thing. When, God, I hope this wasn't a designed play. They put him on that sweep in the third mm. quarter. Yeah. And then he just hobbled around the outside. Still got a first down. But then watching him do it, it was unbelievable. There's something to be said about the NFL and about how we, we look at the players as as sort of mythical creatures. And and if Robert Griffin had won this game, this would have been something that would have potentially defined his career. You know, playing through injury and being able to, to pull through and make your team... <clears throat> win while you are, you know, obviously injured and not 100%. But at the end of the day, this this is a Washington team that hasn't been in the playoffs for, for quite a long time. This could have been the opportunity to maybe have put Kirk Cousins in and given them an opportunity to win. But Mike Shanahan decided against it. And I find it tough to to really criticize Shanahan because... I think a lot of people uh, right now in the heat of the moment are very, very angry and upset because, you know, he potentially kept a player in when he shouldn't have been in. But at the same time, he knows his players. He himself had his career, his playing career, um, cut short with an in injury. I'm sure he potentially wouldn't try and do something as foolish or as rash as keep RG3 in 
just because he had to, or he felt that he had to. The press conference after the game, all parties came out, towed the party line. Mike Shanahan said the player wasn't going to come out. He said he was ready. He said he was going to be ready to go. Of course he's going to say that. Mm. I just, I think we disagree on this. I don't know why the decision is left with the player. I'm not sure why the decision is anybody's but Mike Shanahan's. And that has blown up in his face big time. It was a terrible decision. And, and did it cost him the game? Did it not cost him the game? Who knows? Could Kirk Cousins have come in and played at a higher level that RG3 was playing due to his injury? Absolutely he could. I think we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Final incident where he twisted his knee, where the snap went down in the floor and he couldn't get it and he twisted his knee over. That's the endearing image of wildcard weekend for me. That was awful. Just hope he's all right in the long term. It's interesting because in Washington, D.C., they had a, not exactly the same situation, but they had a similar situation in baseball with Steven Strasburg a highly rated pitching prospect that they had, and they decided to rest him in the regular season, even though they had, the team itself had made it into the postseason. And, and fans were complaining that they you know, they really could have done with Strasbourg in the team, but the, the team themselves, they decided that they'd rather save Strasbourg's arm for future wins rather than try and win in the now. And I, and I guess that's that age-old thing about the NFL. There's more of an immediacy in trying to win rather than in other sports where potentially you will try and plan down the line and plan down the road. Well, Shanahan thought that, either thought or was forced to think that RG3 in the state he was in represented the biggest opportunity for his franchise to win that football game. After what was a slow start, you have to give credit to the Seattle Seahawks. Every day I'm rustling, Wilson, again, shaky start. Then moved his team on four consistently long drives. Marshawn Lynch, despite what could have been a massive momentum-swinging fumble on the goal line, 131 yards in the deck. He was brilliant. Seattle continue to impress, continue to pick up plaudits. They go into Atlanta next week. Everyone must like Seattle going into Atlanta next week. Before this game, everyone was saying that Seattle was the most balanced team out there in the playoffs. And, and this performance shows it again. Uh, they got an interception. They, you know, Marshawn Lynch, as you mentioned, did have that fumble, but had that amazing touchdown run at the end. I think we're seeing a team that everyone considered a home team, a team that only really gets their important victories at home but now they're, they're building quite an impressive resume of away wins and as much as I love that young scooter Atlanta anthem, I, I can see the Seahawks winning next week Eight consecutive playoff games on the road have been lost by Seattle they have not had a quarterback the like of Russell Wilson in the history of that franchise absolutely box office importantly as well, he's starting to do things with his legs, eight rushes 67 yards the chemistry between him and Marshawn Lynch start to be building and trying different stuff out the receivers I really expected Golden Tate to be a factor in this game maybe the game isn't big enough maybe next week as we said in earlier pods uh, Golden Tate only does the spectacular he doesn't do anything normal got to give credit to the Seattle defense I think it goes to show 
how badly Raheem Morris's reputation was tarnished by the disaster in Tampa last season that he does not get any credit or camera time whatsoever. But that secondary is the real deal. Earl Thomas had a pick. Brandon Browner was tough all day. Richard Sherman, again, a bit of argy-bargy after the final whistle with Trent Williams. But that secondary for Seattle is where it all starts. That's a really tough defense. That's a great team going into the Atlanta game. Shout to all our peeps out in Seattle. Shout to our buddy Justin, our Seattle guy. If they continue coming through the playoffs, we're going to have to get you back on the pod uh, to talk about Russell Wilson fever and all that good stuff. But, yeah, it's such a brilliant story. And, you know, kudos to Pete Carroll. No one really thought he was going to be a success there this early. He's drafted well. He's got a good selection of players there. And, you know, the better team won at the end of the day. James, I've got a question to pose you. So both of these teams have, from what we've seen in brief moments, decent backup quarterbacks. Which of these teams deals away their backup quarterback in the offseason? Look, I think the deals are structured in completely different ways. I think Matt Flynn has guaranteed a certain amount of money, which means trading him away is a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Versus Kirk Cousins, who obviously is on a much smaller deal, who you can trade away if you want. I think teams are going to potentially be more interested in Kirk Cousins because they can pick him up for cheaper, and he's a young guy, and it's all about young guys this year. No one even remembers who Matt Flynn is and what he did. So if Matt Flynn wants to start, he wants to go somewhere else, we shall see. But I don't think Matt Flynn goes into the postseason with any kind of rep and teams going after him. That said, quarterbacks, they are what make this league work. There's going to be a bunch of new coaches, and we'll talk about that, looking for quarterbacks. So I think they're both interesting for different ways. It depends on my salary cap situation, but, you know, I'm picking up Cousins for cheaper, so... I like him, but the skins aren't doing anything till they know how RG3 comes out of this thing, um, how he comes out looking. They're not doing anything, so we shall see. Moving backwards, as we never do, but this time we're going to do. The early game on Sunday, another big, emotional, intangible battle in Baltimore. So many subplots, so many sub-stories. And sob stories going into this one. <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens in Ray Lewis's last game in Ravens Stadium, 24. Arsenal and St. John's Woods own Andrew Luck and it is Indianapolis Colts, 9. Just the end of the road for the Colts. Great season, but just not quite enough. I forgot to mention this a little bit earlier on, but the great thing about this past weekend's games was it was the end of the regular season narratives. And and this was another example. We saw the Andrew Luck and the Chuck Strong story come to an end. We've seen the end of Ray Lewis at home. We've seen the end of the RG3 story. But this game was, I think, really, we're going to look at this game thinking of the emotion that Ray Lewis had, that lap of honor at the end of the game rather than the game itself. It wasn't a classic. We didn't see Andrew Luck coming back with the fourth quarter drive to win it for the Colts. What we did see was a team of veterans that have been there before 
perform to such a good level that they won, even without Flacco necessarily being as good as he needed to be. It was an interesting one. Andrew, a lot of Andrew Luck's play in this game was at an all-pro level. Some of the things he did were just fantastic. The Colts racked up 420 yards of offense. They were consistently moving the ball. However, we don't want to get into cliches in this podcast just because it's playoff time. We're not going to go cliches abound, but just couldn't get it in the end zone. Kept driving, had to keep settling for field goals, and that was the answer. They were moving the ball consistently pretty much whenever they wanted to, all day. Some of these rookies in the, on the Colts, T.Y. Hilton, Vic Ballard, these are great players, and I think they've got a great future in this league. And it was really brilliant to see them do their thing. Not quite enough, not quite enough experience. It was down to the old stages in Baltimore. Anquan Bolden had an A.J. Green-type game in the fact that he did absolutely sod all in the first half. Turned up in the second half. He was playing like Jerry Rice. What he really a, was. What a playoff, big-time player that guy is. He stepped up. He set a franchise record. 145 yards on five enormous receptions in the second half. The Colts, and let's be fair, they're pretty terrible defense. Just couldn't contain him. He was a real difference maker in this game. He had to overcompensate for a performance of one of the other Baltimore offensive stars that, when it gets to playoff time, is letting this team down. Ray Rice, we're big fans of Ray Rice on this show. An incredibly talented back, top three back in the NFL. But he is now in danger of being, having the, he fumbles in the playoffs tag attached to him. That's the death penalty for a running back. This is really bad. It really is. Like right now he's averaging a fumble for every 30 touches in the playoffs. And that's... That's not good, especially when when you're playing for a team like Baltimore, who everyone said before the game should just run the ball down the Colts' uh, throats. And and that's what they tried to do, especially in the first half. And luckily they have Bolden that they could use him as an outlet in the second half to, to, to be able to get the points that pulled them away from the um, from the Colts to win the game. But, but yeah, I, I, Ray Rice... Incredibly reliable in the in the regular season. So throughout Ray Rice's playoff career, he is averaging a fumble every 30.4 touches versus in the regular season, he fumbles every 218 touches. In the playoffs, he is unreliable, and you can't have that where turnovers are so crucial. Bernard Pierce was a key player for the Ravens, especially in the fourth quarter. 13 carries, 103 yards, no fumbles for Bernard Pierce. So, interesting to see next week if he gets more touches of the ball. The Ravens seem to have weapons that we didn't even know existed. And, and that, to me, is a hallmark of a really good playoff team because teams are going to focus on shutting down your primary or your well-known offensive players. And so you're going to need sometimes, you're going to need your backups to step up for you sometimes. Flacco did enough to win the game for the Ravens and kudos to him. 
This is one on the emotion of Ray Lewis. Not only the scene of him coming out on the field. Best bit for me was when he grabbed some dirt and threw it at himself. And <laughs> ran out there. But let's not forget, Chuck Pagano is the ex-defensive coordinator of the Ravens. He's like a father to these guys. But it was all about Ray. You didn't see him losing it. He takes that momentum into the next game. It was bad to watch the guys on Sky Sports have to eulogize the Ray Lewis era as they consistently played back that dollied interception he dropped over and over again. That was quite bad. <laughs> and I felt for those guys um, doing that. Also, shout to Jeff Reinbold, who was back this weekend in the studio getting lots and lots of love from everybody on Twitter for some of the analysis he was providing. Thought it was brilliant. Gave a real, real insight into that. He did some, provided some excellent analysis. You kind of want him to open up. He alludes to some of these stories that he knows about New Orleans and, and Super Bowl after parties and stuff like that. So hopefully as we go through the season, we get to hear more and more stories from Jeff. Shout out to anybody that's going to any of the fan nights this week where Jeff Reinbold is joined by Neil Reynolds and Mark Brunel from ex-Jacksonville Jaguar. I think if you get a chance to have some Q&A with Jeff Reinbold, that's a guy that's been there, done it, seen it, and as we want to know by some of the stories, hopefully he's going to open up with maybe on air, maybe he's done some other fun stuff or two, too, so that was really good to see. Moving backwards to Saturday, the first game on the Saturday was the Houston Texans, 19, the Cincinnati Bengals, 13. I took a bit of smack for this on Twitter, but I'm going to stand by it. Despite the fact they had problems getting the ball in the end zone, again, they were settling for field goals. I think compared to the last three weeks, the Houston Texans looked really good. Yeah, I'm going to have to be like those people on Twitter. I don't think they looked really good. I thought that they did just enough. I thought this was the weekend of teams doing just enough. They did look a lot better than they did over the their recent funk. But I also think that them playing three games in ten days also had something to do with that. I don't think they did their traditional rope-a-dope where they, they, end, they end the regular season not doing very well and they, they start the playoffs doing better. But I think they, they did just enough to win this game. Yeah, I mean, when I say really good, I'm comparing it to the last three weeks. I'm not, they're not suddenly becoming my playoff favorite by any <coughs> stretch of the imagination. But they are doing what they, would, they did in that game, what they were doing successfully through the season running the ball, playing tough defense. Yeah. So in my mind, compared to what they've been through the last three weeks, that was a very good performance for them, and it's got them back off the schneid. They're going up to New England. That's a completely different ball game, but I still think it was a good performance. James, do you think any of these teams that you saw this weekend have a chance of making the Super Bowl? Yes, I do. I think... Either Seattle or Green Bay have an excellent chance of making the Super Bowl. The teams in the NFC, I don't think so. Houston beat a Cincinnati team that, unfortunately, Andy Dalton is going to be wearing this defeat. He did not play well. He did not play to the potential that he has. He was 3-0 and playing in this stadium against other games. His performance was poor. He wasn't accurate. He threw interceptions. He couldn't get the team moving. He couldn't find A.J. Green. I think he's going to go down. That's two consecutive years of losses in the first round of the playoffs for Cincinnati. 
So maybe some work to do in the off-season for Andy Dalton. Talking of ineffectual quarterback performances in Green Bay, this one did not come from Christian Glenn Ponder. He didn't have the opportunity to perform. This unfortunate inept quarterback performance came from the Minnesota Vikings' Joe Webb, who I love as a player. I think he's exciting. I think he makes stuff happen, especially at home, especially under the dome, especially not in playoff games. But he was thrown in at the last minute. That was the big news that broke. He mustered up 10 points against the Green Bay Packers, 24. This was never even close as a contest. As soon as you knew Green Joe Webb was in the game, the line in Vegas went up from seven and a half to ten and a half instantly. And it was pretty hard work. Joe Webb tried really hard, gave the ball to Adrian Peterson consistently, as you'd expect him to. The Vikings had nothing at wide receiver. Green Bay played a solid enough game and won this one quite comfortably. There's not much more that you can say. It's it's funny because the NFL is a team game, but at the end of the day, the quarterback is the most important position. And, and, and the Vikings, it's not that we're saying that Christian Ponder is necessarily the world's greatest quarterback, but there's something to be said when your backup can't muster enough offense to try and beat this, frankly, Good Green Bay team with an excellent quarterback who hasn't been getting the props that he's been that he's deserved this season because we've had some great individual performances by other players. The Green Bay success is tied into the quarterback play of Aaron Rodgers. He was extremely solid in this game. He threw passes to ten different receivers. That's another NFL record for Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. Still question marks about the Green Bay running game. Dujuan Harris saw a lot of the ball. Especially in the receiving game. He looks like a weapon. Five catches, 53 yards, 17 carries, 47 yards. So nearly 100 yards in total offense. But he's not going to scare people. John Kuhn saw a lot of the game uh, down at the goal line, which is always exciting for Packer fans. But Green Bay looked good because they have one of the top three players in the NFL playing at an elite level. So what does this all mean? Well, so for the first time ever... In consecutive seasons, we've got the four teams that made it through in the AFC last year are the same four teams that have made it through this year. Admittedly, the matchups are different and some of the personnel is different as well. Tebow. Where are you now? <laughs> but the top four seeds in the AFC got through. So what we've got is we've got so the early uh, game, still a half 9.30 kickoff Saturday night for us Brits in the UK. You've got the Denver Bronx, you've got the Baltimore Ravens going into Denver to take on Peyton Manning and his Denver Broncos. The Broncos being nine-point favourites at home in that one. Inye, how do you see that one panning out? I can see Peyton taking this past week, marshalling the Broncos into shape, and I can see them stopping the Ray Lewis juggernaut. I think that Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas are going to have big games next week. And look out for them. Yeah, nine points seems about right. I favour Denver heavily in this. Unfortunately, it seems to me that the Ravens' performance is going to be tied down to the intangible that is Ray Lewis. The Ray Lewis performance and what he does, 
if they can ride that, Ray's last run into the playoffs thing all the way to the Super Bowl. Don't know how Denver can stop that, but I think Denver are going to come out passing. Some of their play over the last couple of weeks has been fantastic. They've got a great defense. They've got a much better defense than the Colts have. Yeah, really like Denver in that one. The other game in the AFC is the late game, kicking off around about half past nine on Sunday night. The Texans are going up to New England to take on Tom Brady and the Colts. Again, nine-point underdogs. And nine points, again, seems about right. I don't think New England are scared at taking on this Texans team. They destroyed them the last time they went up to play up there. Yeah, I think I don't see New England losing this. It's written in the stars. It's got to be Manning versus Brady again. I, I, I can't see the other two teams upsetting them. Aaron Foster can have another good game on the ground running for, you know, I'd say... I'd definitely say place a bet of him getting over 100 yards next week, but I think that's all the Texans are going to be able to muster against New England. Also, we're probably going to see a more revitalized Gronk than we did at the end of Week 17. The Saturday late game, that's Saturday night, 1 a.m., London time, kickoff. Aaron Rodgers is taking his Green Bay Packers to the team he supported as a child, the team that didn't draft him chose Alex Smith instead. That obviously worked out. He's taken them into San Francisco to take on the Niners, who are three-point favorites with Colin Kaepernick. This is turning into a really nice little rivalry between arguably the two best teams, regardless of record, in the NFC. This is going to be a great matchup. San Francisco, three-point favorites over Green Bay. But there's got to be a lot of people that like Green Bay in this one, right? Yeah, you're looking at a team that has been there, done that before, against a 49ers team that switched quarterback mid-season, still trying to figure out exactly what to do with the old big cap, but I can definitely see Green Bay winning this one. The talk's going to be about Kaepernick, who has been in the shadows the last couple of weeks. Other black rookie quarterbacks, we're just going to call him a rookie quarterback, we just are, we should just do that, have been in the spotlight and now he's got to step up now it's his chance an extremely exciting talented player san francisco's offense has been playing a lot better gelling crabtree seems like he's connecting with kaepernick i think you're right i think it's down to aaron Rodgers versus in effect a rookie quarterback that's played half a season admittedly at home like green bay i think a lot of money goes on green bay on that and i think the three point I think the three-point closer to the game on San Francisco maybe comes down as well. I think the the lines are having a bit of fun with us as well with this game because both of these teams have not exactly reliable kickers. San Francisco bizarrely added last year's playoff criminal in Pili Cundiff. They've added him to their squad to go alongside the... Used to be massively consistent this year, been terrible, David Akers. So, yeah, they have kicking problems. Mason Crosby has had an atrocious season. So, yeah, if this one goes down to field goals, this could be like watching a college game. This could go on all night. <laughs> and the last game, which is the early game on the Sunday, that's going to be a 6 o'clock kickoff, London time. Got to be the most exciting matchup. For all you neutrals out there, Russell Wilson going 
to Atlanta to take on Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons, a team that nobody likes in the NFC despite their records. Atlanta Falcons, two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Seattle Seahawks. Lots of people have got to love the Seahawks in this. I think I do. I'm going to go with the, with the Falcons. There's something about the, the wide receivers, and well, the whole receiving core, to be honest, that just makes me believe that they can they can get the victory. Uh, it's going to be good. You mentioned earlier on about how the Seattle secondary is playing fantastically right now, but I think the the dangerous duo of Roddy White and Julio Jones is going to be enough for the for the Falcons to win this game. So that's it, people. Two games next Saturday. Two games next Sunday. You thought this weekend was awesome? It wasn't that awesome, apart from last night. Next weekend is going to be even better. It gets big Saturday night, Sunday night. Take this opportunity to see the NFL at its absolute best. Week after that, we've then got the championship games. The winners of those will be taking place the Sunday after. We'll be watching that at the number one sports bar in London. Morgate tickets still available. That's going to be a big night for sure. Talking to the number one sports bar. We'll be down there later on tonight. Not sure if you're, what time you're going to be checking this pod, but we're going to be at the sports bar late watching the BCS game. Notre Dame, Alabama. Alabama, huge favorite going into this. But Notre Dame have the emotional factor. I don't know. I don't know where to put your money on this one whatsoever, but should be a very late game. Should be a great game. If you're checking out this pod and you're down at the number one sports bar tonight, come and say all right to me. Come and say all right to Inye. We will happily talk football with you till the very, very, very early hours. We should mention as well there's been uh, quite a few coaching changes in the NFL this week. The most notable, we have to give a shout-out to one of our own. Ex-London monarch, Nasty Boy. Made good, Doug Marone left Syracuse as their head coach, very successful there, new coach of the Buffalo Bills. I was so inspired yesterday, I had to watch the London Monarchs 1991 season review video. It's on YouTube. That's a time for me that is just amazing. Doug Marone was the centre in that team. Key part of that offensive line, the nasty boys. Good luck to you, son. There's a little bit of London now in a head coaching position. Love that. It goes on. A bunch of teams have fired their coach, and you probably know this by now, but we'll see if there's been any updates around it. So Arizona got rid of Ken Wisenhunt. That was inevitable after that terrible season they had. The hot name all week has been Chip Kelly. A very successful win in the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl for the, his Oregon Ducks. Meant he was even hotter than normal. He interviewed with Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He interviewed with the Eagles. Yep. He had option to join both of those teams. Doesn't look like at this point he's going to either of those teams. He's going to be sticking at Oregon. So all the people <laughs> at Nike will be very, very happy about that. The position in Cleveland remains open. The position in Chicago remains open. They've been talking to people from the CFL for the coaching job. It's interesting because a lot of these jobs get filled relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. But there's quite a few open spots as we move forward. One spot that isn't open anymore, it's been filled by a very big body. That is in Kansas City, who now have Andy Reid as their new head coach. 
How are Chiefs fans supposed to feel about that, Inyo? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I guess excitement because at the end of the day, we have we've seen the worst of the Andy Reid era right now, and there were good years we've seen the worst at of the, the Kansas Eagles. City Chiefs era as well. Yeah, well, the, you know, the how much worse can you get than Romeo Cronell? I think Andy Reid will try and find out, but I don't, I don't think he is as bad. I think that he'll do a job there, and and they can't really complain. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. So expect over the next week or so all these positions to get filled as assistants come out of the playoffs there to be talked to. Some of the college coaches finish all the bowl games. These will get tied up. So this week we can do. So next week, hopefully, we can do a big roundup of that. James, do you think that that my coach of the year, Bruce Arians, will actually get employed somewhere else? Bruce Arians. It was awful yesterday that Bruce Arians wasn't able to make the game. He was taken to hospital, which is apparently he's fine. So that's great news about Bruce Arians with an inner ear infection, which sounds really really painful. But when he should have been getting his profile raised. I mean, how much camera time was Bruce Arians going to get yesterday? Ridiculous. He was yeah. going to get his profile raised. Unfortunately, ill health meant that he couldn't make it. He went 9-3 and three as the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I think, look, Bruce Arians is currently in hospital. Soon as Bruce Arians get out, gets out of hospital, I think you're right. A lot of teams want to talk to Bruce Arians. So good luck to him. I think he would be an excellent acquisition by any team. It's going to be a brilliant week, people. Lots and lots of news all week. Hyping up to these playoff matchups. Don't miss out on these. They are going to be brilliant. This is what it's all about. This is what you've been waiting 17 weeks for. It's just got real. We have been North London 40. We will see you on Twitter throughout the week, on Tumblr throughout the week. We're going to be around. Just contact us. Let's talk football because it's going to be football all week. And we will, you will hear from us next week. Take care.